DNB Tech Minute gives you the day's top tech headlines, from the big names in Silicon Valley to the halls of power. If it's making news in tech, we've got it. Check out TNB Tech Minute in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. I'm Laura Wasser, and I'm a family law attorney in Southern California. At the beginning of 2018, I launched an online mediation site so that individuals could get divorced on their own without the necessity of attorneys. Our platform has an ability for people to read about and go through their entire divorce and get providers that they need all in one place. I don't think we women should be afraid of being seen as aggressive, but I do think that there's a way of being aggressive that can be feminine. I've often heard from some of my older women mentors, the more quietly you speak, the more closely they listen, and I do believe that that can be the case. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Celebrity divorce lawyer Laura Wasser has taken on some of the highest profile Hollywood divorce cases from clients including Britney Spears and the Kardashians. Also a tech entrepreneur, she's now using technology to bring her expertise to the mainstream. Laura, one of your first negotiations was on behalf of your brother when he was a child, and you were a child. Tell us about that. My brother Andrew is three years younger than I am, and I guess because I was conceived the night that my parents uh, found out my father passed the bar exam, they named me Laura Allison Wasser, which is law. So from a very early age, I was um, arguing and, and debating for a cause, and the cause in that instance was Andrew, and I wanted to stay up later. The only way they'd let me stay up later is if he got to stay up later as well, so I would negotiate on his behalf. I got us all the way to 9 o'clock, and we were little. It was good. <laughs> You started your career as a disability lawyer and then switched to matrimonial. How come? Because I needed to get divorced. I got married after my second year of law school and very shortly, uh, we were young, we were 25 years old and we probably rushed into it. We had a gorgeous wedding um, and it was a lot of fun. But about a year later, right after I took the bar exam, we sat down and said, you know what? I really like you, but I can't imagine us like being married for the rest of our lives or having kids with each other. We're just so, so, so different. So I went to my father, who was a family law practitioner, and I said, I need to get divorced. And he said, good, go ahead. I'm never paying for another wedding. And I said, and I need some money. And he said, well, you can come work here instead of working for disabled people. It's all thankless. And I said, okay. So I started working there. I waited for my bar results, and I continued. And I'm actually now the managing partner at our law firm, which is a small boutique family law firm in Southern California. What did you learn from your own divorce? I learned to practice what my parents had preached, both in their life when they got divorced when I was a teenager and how my father had always practiced family law, which is with a great um, deal of respect and civility for the other person. And again, my ex and I did not have anything to divide. I always joke we had some credit card debt and a dog, and I got both. Um, but really, if there's, it, it is a business transaction. And so all of the grief and all of the pain and all of the fear that people experience during a breakup are all very real, but they should not be applied to the financial transaction of dividing things up, particularly if you don't have very much. How do you do that, though, when you are so emotionally involved? 
what I would like to see people beginning to do, and I think we are seeing this in the trend of conscious uncoupling or gentle separation, as now I'm hearing, is that people get whatever they need in terms of the mental and emotional counseling and help to get through that part of it and then address the other part, really coming it to not, a, not only with respect but with some knowledge. People need to educate themselves on what the laws are in their state preferably before they get married, but if not, then at least while they're going through the process. So it's not so scary and miserable and so that they can really compartmentalize the difference between what is a legal and financial transaction, which shouldn't be too complicated, and then the emotional part of it. You've described yourself as an older parent. What advice do you have for older mothers? Give yourself a break. Actually, this is my advice to all parents. I really think that we as parents, moms and dads, but particularly moms and particularly older moms and particularly working moms, we're hard on ourselves. And I think that if you can really, at the end of every day, there's a great Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, which I will I'll totally bloody if I try to say it, but I'll just give you the basis of it, which is at the end of each day, look back at the day, know that you did some good stuff, know that you did some bad stuff, and move on knowing tomorrow's another day. Your kids are generally going to be okay, and give yourself a little bit of a break. You have sons from different fathers. How do you manage scheduling with their dads? Um, there's a lot of texting that goes on. Both of my son's dads are unbelievable co-parents and family members, and we work really well together. All three of us figure it out. It takes a village, we like to say, and um, we have that village. And, you know, keeping thing, keeping a calendar, keeping everybody in play, keeping everybody aware of what's going on. I am probably the keeper of the master calendar, but the guys are really, really great about helping out if I need somebody to fill in when I'm at court or a meeting or whatever. And my kids are pretty well adjusted as a result of all of us really getting along and being on the same page about putting them first. What are women afraid of in divorce? I think most of the time women are afraid of two main things in no particular order. Um, losing custody of their kids, not being the person who's in charge. A lot of women, particularly women who do not work, their main job is to be the parent. And if they sense that that's going to be taken away from them or, or halved by 50%, which is a lot in many states now the presumption, then they get very, very insecure about what that's going to mean, not only for their kids, but for themselves. And then the other thing that women are afraid of is the financial aspect of getting divorced. Whether we are the breadwinner and we're going to have to be paying spousal and child support and giving half of everything that we worked so hard to make during the marriage to our spouse, or whether we're the stay-at-home person and we don't know what we're going to be able to afford in terms of rent or mortgage, in terms of a clothing allowance, in terms of private school for our kids, that's incredibly frightening. You said women are often surprised when they have to pay child support. How come? I think that we have been raised with this picture of divorce that probably is totally antiquated. I have had high-earning women come in to me and say, what do you mean I'm going to have to pay support? I'm the girl. And I said, well, <laughs> that's not really how it works. It's In this one instance, the law is gender blind. And if you were the breadwinner and you make more than your spouse, you will likely be paying him some child support and some spousal support. For 
ever? Like, how long does spousals? It depends. It depends. It's different in all states. In California, it's generally one half the length of the marriage, unless your marriage is defined as long term. And again, there's no bright line on this, but long term is usually about 10 years or more. If you've been married for 10 years or more, then a judge will often say, why don't you come back and see me in about five years? But I'm not going to have a cutoff date on the support because the thought is that the other person's been out of the workforce or earning less for so long, they may not be able to keep up. If he cheats on you, though, you still have to pay spousal support. That's a bummer, huh? Yes, California and all states in the U.S., unless you opt into, I think, uh, a fault state and a couple of them you can choose fault, are no fault, meaning it doesn't matter what you do, particularly in terms of extramarital relationships, you um, will not be judged based on that in any kind of a capacity, whether it's financial or custodial. What's your advice for women who are trying to decide when it's time to file for divorce? I get asked that question a lot, Veronica, like, what, you know, how do I know? And there was a chapter in the book that I wrote saying, how do I know? There won't be any lightning bolt, you know, or voice from the sky that says it's time. Sometimes you're lucky enough to walk in on your spouse, you know, having sexual relations with your nanny, and then you know. Sometimes. Sometimes you can fix it after that. But again, um, for the most part, I think you really need to weigh when the bad outweighs the good. Certainly if you're in any kind of a domestic violence situation or you're in a situation with somebody who's abusing alcohol or drugs, then get out and you shouldn't have to wait too long for another sign. Um, but I do think you have to really understand what your what the road is going to look like. And that's why we tried to give people on our website, on It's Over Easy, enough education and information so that they can see. Somebody once said to me, you know the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting? And I said, yes. And I said, wouldn't it be great if there was What to Expect when you're divorcing. So we came up with like a flip book. And again, every situation is obviously different, but that will tell you the steps that you're going to go through if you decide to embark upon that path, because it shouldn't take years and years and years and years. It should be relatively simple. And then you have to really work towards the next chapter. How come Hollywood marriages often don't last? Well, how come any marriages often don't last? It's just that we read about it more in Hollywood marriages because I guess celebrities are more interesting to read about than your normal you know, suburban neighbor that's getting divorced. Um, we hear about them. I think Hollywood is a difficult place to conduct um, a long-term marriage or relationship because there's a lot of temptation. And particularly with uh, celebrities, whether they be traveling athletes, whether they be touring musicians or actors and actresses, and frankly, anybody that's on affiliated in that world, whether you're a director or you're a crew member, if you are traveling, you're away from home. And that makes it difficult to have the consistency that is often necessary to conduct a relationship. So that that's one thing that makes it hard, too. You're known for being blunt with your celebrity clients. How can you take that approach? Because I, I, I'm blunt with all of my clients, I, I understand that in this, in this field, there has to be a great deal of compassion because people are going through something. I may do this every day of my life. This is the first time they're going through it. So I want to make sure that they understand. I don't speak legalese. I speak plainly to them. But at the same time, I don't want to blow sunshine, so to speak. I want them to know what they can expect. So again, when someone comes to me and says, well, I'm the mom, so I'm going to get the kids, right? I said, no, it's probably best for your kids to have pretty much equal time with you and your spouse. I know, but he was horrible and he cheated on me. He might not have been a great husband. He could still be a very good father. Now, again, sometimes he wouldn't be. I mean, I'm not saying in every situation, but generally speaking, kids, I think, have the right to be, have the experience of both of their parents.
You recommend celebrities go on lockdown during divorce, limiting what they say on social media. Does this advice apply to non-celebrities? Absolutely. If you are going through a divorce and your ex is online seeing you dating some guy that's driving a gorgeous red Ferrari and picks you up or you're on his yacht, your ex is going to be upset about that and you're going to hear about that. And whether it matters legally or not, it's going to matter emotionally and it's going to make things more difficult. You have a reputation of being a pit bull. What do you say to women who may be afraid of being seen as aggressive? I think that that's something that we're overcoming. I, I'm always surprised when people say that I'm a pit bull because I'm generally pretty calm and settlement oriented. Um, but it is true that I will cut to the chase. I don't like to waste time or money. And I feel like if that's seen as aggressive in a negative way, people are probably going to have to get used to it. I don't think we, we women should be afraid of being seen as aggressive, but I do think that there's a way of being aggressive that can be feminine. I don't know that we need to curse like sailors or scream and yell or beat the table. I think I've often heard from some of my older women mentors, the more quietly you speak, the more closely they listen. And I do believe that that can be the case. So part of your divorce advice is to be nice. How can women do that if their soon-to-be ex has done nasty things to them? I say to people often, go back and find a place in your relationship where you really love this person. You had to love them at some point when he was in the delivery room with you holding your hand, when he got down on one knee and asked you to marry him. Yes, there's a lot of water under the bridge in most relationships, and there has to be, particularly if you have kids, a way for you to be able to forgive that person at least enough so that you can co-parent with him, it's not easy. And it's not always consistently nice, nice, nice. But remember that this is a person with whom you have the most important humans in your life and you're not going to get away from him even after they turn 18 or 21. He or she is always going to be around. So not only for the benefit of your kids, but for the benefit of your face. I mean, if you're constantly making a miserable face, you're going to get wrinkles. Take a meditation class, get a massage, go have a glass of wine with some girlfriends, and try to let it go. It's better for you. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. That's V-A-N-T-A dot WSJ. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. Have you faced chauvinism in the courtroom? A little bit. I mean, again, I, I started practicing in 1994, and I was also the daughter of a preeminent family law attorney. So there would be a little chauvinism mixed in with a little nepotism. Oh, I remember you, and you were just a kid, sweetie, honey, whatever. I never minded it. I've been very, very lucky not to have a, a Me Too moment. I haven't been harassed, and I certainly haven't been violated. But there would be a little chauvinism, and I would always try to figure out a way to use it to my advantage. So if I was standing at counsel table with an opponent that was in his 60s or 70s, 
and he thought he was just going to be able to sail right through because I was younger and female or whatever. I knew that I had to study up and know the facts of this case better than he did. He probably had been on the golf course at least once or twice this week. And I just let him go into it thinking that he was going to crush me. And sometimes it uh, ended up happening quite, quite the opposite way. Did you have to prove yourself more because your dad was so well-known? Maybe. I mean, I'm sure there's still people out there that figure that I am where I am because of my dad. That's okay. I am where I am. That's kind of what I need to focus on as opposed to why or how. So what do you say to them when or they might say that, like you're only there because you're dad? They don't usually say it to me anymore. I mean, I'm 50 now, so they're probably saying it behind my back. I don't know. I'm... I know what I did to get where I am. And again, I don't, didn't have to work nearly as hard as some people who, you know, barely could get out of the projects to be able to attend school or whatever. I was very lucky. My parents paid for my school. I did not have student loans. I consider that a huge, huge blessing. They also were great role models for me, and they gave me roots and wings. And so I could never complain about, you know, the nepotism element or even I would rather have that than have to worry about what somebody was saying. I figure if people are that busy worrying about the nepotism element or even the female element of who I am and why I'm here, then they probably are really bored in their personal lives. (laughs) How did you learn how to handle the spotlight? Well, I don't have the spotlight. Lucky me. The spotlight is usually on my clients, and I try to stand to the left of it a little bit. Sometimes see, though, in fashion magazines or just various entertainment magazines. I made a decision early on that I would never do any media um, kind of piggybacking on my clients or what is generally a pretty crappy time for them. That being said, when the book came out in 2013 and then when we launched It's Over Easy in 2018 and pretty much in between, I made a decision that I would do some media if it was about me and not celebrity clients. And it was about my journey as a as a woman, as an attorney, as a parent, and now as somebody who's trying to change the face of divorce in the United States. There's a lot of commentary on how nice your clothes are. What do you feel about that? <laughs> I work really hard and I am a bit of a clothes horse. I love clothes. And so, you know, as an example, we're here in New York for a couple of days and mostly have lots and lots of meetings with investors and collaboration companies. But we did a little shopping on Madison Avenue in Soho yesterday. That's kind of one of the things that I can do on my free time. And I like it. And like I said, I, I've worked hard for it. So it's cool. What made you decide to become a tech entrepreneur? Well, I, what made me decide to become a tech entrepreneur was the need in that um, realm for something that w- enabled people to see family law differently. And so in order for people to be able to go online and get divorced online, somebody had to create the tech for it. And by the way, I did not create the tech. I just hired people to create the tech. And then bringing it to everybody and having the two other pieces of it, which is the content so that people can educate themselves and the index, which we're launching this month, which gives people the entire village that it takes to get through this. Everybody from you know, financial professionals to mental health professionals to childcare professionals to someone who can help you move to someone who can help you find a new apartment to someone who can help you get a spray tan if you're starting to date again. All of those things are on our index. And I thought there was a real need for that after practicing family law for 25 years. So we created It's Over Easy. Were you worried that could devalue your services to your high-end clients? No. There will always be a need for family law litigators because there will always be complex um, litigation, whether that has to do with, 
you know, rights to screenplays or residuals and royalties in Hollywood, whether it has to do with move away cases for kids. If I live in California and my ex wants to move to New York, you can't do, you know, an every other day kind of a custody plan. You have to make a call. And so there will always be the need when their conflict is not resolvable for family law attorneys. But do I see that there is a huge in-between element of people that don't really need attorneys, but they get them because they don't know that there's another avenue available to them? Yes. And I think that that bringing this to those folks is something that's very valuable. Can you explain what the father's rights movement is and how that's affecting some divorces? Um, the father's rights movement, as I know it, is really a surge of men saying, we refuse to be viewed as lesser parents just because we're dads. Um, I, I'm not sure where it started, but from where I sit in Southern California, there are so many dads who uh, have jobs that aren't nine to five jobs that either are composers or screenwriters or actors, and they have big chunks of downtime when they absolutely are available and home and take as much of a hands-on role in raising their children as the moms do. And then to all of a sudden say, well, she's the mom, so she should have primary custody to these guys seems totally unfair. And I have to say that I agree with them. And as I said earlier, I believe kids have a right to have an experience with each of their parents, different as they may be. I mean, I say all the time, I'm pretty sure that when my kids are at their dad's houses, they do not drink milk, and they probably don't brush their teeth, and they probably don't go to bed on time. However, what am I going to do? Not have them go to their dad's? They love being with their dads, and it's so important for them to be with their dads that they get the teeth brushing and the milk drinking when they're at my house, and that's fine. How can women protect themselves financially in divorce? Well, again, that depends on where you're coming at it. If you're the breadwinner, there'd be one way to financially protect yourself. If you're the um, person who would be the recipient of support, there'd be other ways. My biggest advice that I can give to women, to all people really, is to educate yourself. Know what you're getting into. Know the laws in your state before you get married. Whether or not you need a prenup, I can't say sitting here, but I definitely think that you should know that when you walk down the aisle, you are entering into a contract. So many of us sign up for our wedding venue, efficient, florist, dress, cake, string quartet. We sign all these contracts, but we don't really think about the fact that walking down the aisle and actually getting married is one of the biggest contracts there is. And we don't even know the terms. So I would say educate yourself even going in. And then throughout the marriage, be aware of your financial situation, even if you're not the breadwinner. I see so many women in my private practice gorgeously clothed, perfect hair, skin. They could make a restu restaurant reservation at any of the hot restaurants in town simply by meeting Mrs. So-and-so. They have personal shoppers at Neiman Marcus and Barney's. And when they come in, they say, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I have no idea what we even have or what we make or what we spend. And I say, well, I'll tell you one thing. This will, you will never be in this position again. You will learn everything about it. I think there would be so much less fear and probably a better feeling of partnership if we as humans all were kind of involved in what the financial aspects of our lives were, particularly, again, if we have children, have a family meeting once a month, sit down, not necessarily with your kids, but sit down with your spouse, go through the finances, figure out how much you're putting away for retirement. How much do you have to spend on vacation? If it's not going to be a good one this year, maybe it'll be a good one next year. Do we have something for a rainy day? Are our kids going to go to private school or public school? How much does that cost? What about a, what about a college account? What are we doing there? 
knowing these things will give you a tremendous sense of power and also take away the fear whether you're getting divorced or not. What do you say to people who think a prenup isn't romantic? They're right. It's not romantic, but it's not supposed to be romantic. There's all kinds of other romantic things incident to getting married, but a prenuptial agreement is not one of them. Either is a lease. Either is probably any of those contracts I just mentioned that you sign when you're getting married. Totally not romantic or sexy. But I do believe that if you have those conversations that go into a prenup, whether you end up having one or not because you may not need one, you will be better equipped to deal with the conflict that may come up throughout your marriage. And you, that it will come up throughout your marriage. Get real, folks. If you're going to spend the next however many years with this person, there's going to be conflict. So what you need to do is make sure that you're armed with the communication tools to get through those conflicts and get into better times. I heard you charge $850 an hour. Is that right? It is. What's your advice to female business owners who want to charge higher rates but don't feel worthy? I get asked that question a lot when I speak at women's conferences about, you know, why women aren't paid equally. I'm fascinated by this because I've never experienced that. Um, At our firm, women were always paid equally, and it was more a matter of how long you'd been working and what your experience was and how your rainmaking or business um, business making uh, capabilities worked. Um, I think if you're not feeling comfortable about what you are charging or what you're being paid, you need to really think about that and address that. Because, again, I don't think people should bolster themselves up falsely and say, like, I'm worth it and whatever. And I'm, it. But if you really are and if you really have been working hard and you make a list of the reasons and things that are valuable about you, then go ahead. I mean, I've never had an issue. We sent out a retainer agreement the other day to somebody and – his entertainment attorney called and said, we have a couple questions. One, I think there might be a typo. It says that your rates of all the attorneys at your firm are as of January 1, 2015. And I said, is that true? Because we used to like kind of change our rates and raise them every year. We haven't changed our rates since 2015. That's what we think the going rate is for what we do and the people with the experience levels at our firm. And that works for us. Now, again, maybe they'll go up in 2019. We'll see. But you, you, you have to do the research. You have to educate yourself. And then you have to feel confident about what you're asking for. What do you like to do with your money? Besides buying clothes. (laughs) I like to travel. Um, My kids and I travel a lot. I like to kind of experience new places through their eyes as well, which is super cool to do. And, you know, the last couple of years, a lot of my money has been being reinvested into It's Over Easy because I feel like that's really, really important. I also, you know, make uh, contributions to my law school and to my kids' school and then to some other nonprofits that I feel really strongly about. And then, you know, besides that, nice meals, nice clothing, good life. What type of investor are you? I think I'm a pretty conservative investor because I'm a single mom. I have two kids. The youngest one is eight and a half, so I need to have enough money that's going to keep us going for a while. Um, I'd say probably the most um, wild investment that I make is on It's Over Easy. But again, I'm having a really good time and it's something I believe in. And I think that even every day, even being here with you right now, we're bringing knowledge to people about how divorce doesn't need to be you know, a death sentence, a final chapter, an ending sad. Yes, it's going to be hard and it's going to be sad and scary, but then you're going to start this next chapter of your life, which can be really exciting. Time now for your secrets. I'm Laura Wasser, and my money secret is I always keep what I call the valet hundred 
in my wallet. I always have one extra $100 bill just in case I need it for the valet, just in case I need it for something. Sure, somebody pickpockets me today, they'll get that 100 but for the most part, that's my money secret. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women.